Explore the night skies with our large range of high-quality telescopes. Whether you're a novice or an astronomy expert, we have the right telescope for you in our Australian Geographic e-store. Explore the whole range and find the right telescope for you today. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash shop. That's australiangeographic.com.au slash shop. Hi, I'm Liz Guinness and this is Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. Today I'm talking to Dr Glenn Singleman. Glenn is an emergency department doctor, a mountaineer, a base jumper and a world record-breaking wingsuit pilot. But if you think Glenn is completely fearless, you're wrong. The truth is... He's worked out a way to overcome his fears to achieve remarkable things. He's a man of many talents, which is how he came to share James Cameron's journey to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. So I'm really excited to sit down with Glenn today on this episode of Talking Australia. Welcome to part two of our chat with Dr. Glenn Singleman. In the first episode, we talked to Glenn about facing his fears and how he became a world record-breaking base jumper. So for someone like me who has a child, abseiled and um, rock climbed and all of those sorts of things, but then had children and thought I had to kind of park it because my sense of mortality was heightened, I have to take care of these children, I would love to move back into it. What would you say to someone who's maybe in that position of, I want to do it, but I'm st- I'm fearful again. Yeah, that's a <clears throat> that's an interesting discussion that Heather and I went through f- for a while. I mean, we we've got children, mm. and we understood our responsibilities as parents, and we tried not to do anything that where we thought the chance of death was high when the kids were younger. But we had to balance that with this idea that we wanted to give them inspiration to live live a fulfilled life, live an inspired life, live a passionate life. Absolutely. So we never, we've taken them, you know, skydiving, rock climbing, they've never been base jumping or anything, but we encourage them to pursue their passion. And we always said, that's great, whatever you're passionate about, go for it. But do it safely, learn a process, because now there are processes for everything. There's processes to climb a big rock face. Mm. There are processes to jump out of a plane. There are processes to go to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, I've just been on an expedition that went to the very bottom of the Southern Ocean. Mariana Trench, were you in the... I was on the Mariana Trench expedition as well. So there are processes, scientific technical, physical processes that allow us to do things safely. And we've encouraged our kids to do what they're passionate about, but do it with a process, do it with safety. And still, you know, when I stand at the bottom of a cliff watching our kids climb up, like I've got to say, there's that parental thing going, oh, yeah, that's scary. But I know that I've learned them how to, uh, I've, I've taught them how to put protection in the rock. They're wearing proper gear. They have a rope that's, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so I, I feel 
that I've inspired them to understand a broader possibility of life experience. And that that's one of our jobs as parents, I think. I absolutely agree, yeah, to live a life that's extraordinary for you and, and find that path. Yeah, Definitely. find that purpose, find that pa- find that passion. passion. Yeah, you know that's that that's the tough one. And in, and in this modern day and age, there is so much choice, but that choice is accompanied by so much fear. I mean, we there is so much more fear in our society. I mean, you only have to look at a newspaper or watch the news, and there's fear. Or listen to a politician, there is fear, and that our fear systems are being exploited by politicians by by marketeers by religions by um, interest groups all the time and they're getting more and more sophisticated in the way that they use fear and our dumb primitive fear system it has a lot of trouble saying oh well that's actually a a focus group developed um, message enhanced by uh, a media company in order to promote a product that is being delivered to the, your, your primitive brain can't do all of that. Your prefrontal cortex can, but the primitive fear brain just goes, ah, that's scary, <laughs> run away, don't do it. Or, or take buy this, take this, that's buy right. that product, you know, this will help, this will stop. You know, yep. and and now neuromarketing is extremely sophisticated. They because they know all of this stuff about the way that you know our emotional yeah. brain works, and, and the they're quite happy to exploit yeah. it. So, can you um, you just mentioned before about the Southern Ocean, the bottom of the Southern Ocean? Do you want to tell us a bit about that? How so, you ended up there? Yeah. So this because I've got quite a few skills. And when you go on an expedition, you want to have lots of skills, but not so many people, (laughs) because especially um, going on an ocean voyage, for example, you want to maximise your skills, minimise your personnel. And that was how I started working with James Cameron. I was invited to be on three of his underwater journeys to, and I actually went in a submersible down to the Titanic. Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Oh, it was... Mind-blowing. It truly was incredible. And if there's one sentence to describe that, it is Titanic. Because what people don't understand, when you look... Most people see the Titanic on a television screen. Mm -hmm. When you actually see it for real, it's a 10-storey high thing that's ginormous. It's awesome. Truly mind-blowing. Anyway... So I was lucky enough to go down to the Titanic uh, with James Cameron and I was lucky enough to be the doctor and one of the filmmakers on his Marianas Trench expedition. And there was a lot of connection with Australia on this because the submersible was actually designed and built by an Australian genius, Ron Allen, in Leichhardt yes, in I've Sydney. Yes, I've heard that. The most unassuming man you'll ever meet. Oh, lovely, lovely guy. An incredibly smart guy. So Ron assembled a team of people with Jim and we built this submersible. That was a generational vehicle. I mean, the, the Marianas Trench, it's 11,000 metres down, 36,000 feet down. The pressure down there is 16,000 pounds per square inch. And... To design a vehicle that 
goes down there and then comes back. It's got to withstand that pressure. This was done back in the 1960s by the US Navy. They had all of the resources of the US Navy in the heroic age of geographical exploration. Mm -hmm. And they did it once. And when they got down there, they didn't get any photographs and the, uh, the... the porthole that they had started to crack so they had to come back up after after 20 minutes unfortunately they didn't get to do nearly enough of the potential science so you know 40 years later 50 years later James Cameron decided that he wanted to go down there but he had to develop he had to think about the problem differently he and ron had to develop a vehicle that would would stand that pressure and be able to go down and do science and so it was an incredible thing to be part of that team it was seven years of development for us to build that sub and get down get jim down to the bottom of the marianas trench We'll take a quick break and be back in a moment with Glenn Singleman. We have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. Plus, you'll also receive exclusive benefits, including 10% of all products purchased in our e-store. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia for our special offer. That's australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. How big was the sub? Just Is it one, a one-man It was vehicle, a one-person vehicle. It was a steel sphere about nearly four inches thick that you couldn't... I mean, a one person can sit in it right. that you can't stretch out all the way you can just sit with your knees sort of up in your face and then surrounded by all of the life support technology and filmmaking technology mm. and that that Jim needed to make a 3D uh, film which it's it's an amazing project an amazing film so unfortunately that vehicle was I mean it was really tough the vehicle came back but lots of parts of it just were broken by that experience and so it it never developed the ongoing life that we hoped it would it ended up in uh in the woods hole oceanographic institute museum Mm -hmm. um but what's happened since then is that a whole lot more people were inspired by what jim and ron and the rest of the team what we did and a new team of Submarine, a new submarine company called Triton Submarines decided that they wanted to build the next generation of underwater machine, a vehicle that could go to the bottom of the ocean every day of the week that was completely reusable, that wouldn't suffer the sort of engineering shortfalls. And they spent about four years designing and then building this incredible vehicle that looks like a piece of toast. And this, really? pe- this piece of toast can actually go to the bottom of the ocean. And a incredible investor, a Wall Street investor called Victor Vescovo, 
heard of it. Has got involved in this project, and he decided the best way to demonstrate the feasibility of this vehicle was to dive the vehicle to the bottom of the deepest point of each of the five oceans the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Southern Ocean the Indian Ocean and the Arctic Ocean. Yep. So And so was born the Five Deeps project. And I was lucky enough recently to be invited to join the Southern Ocean component of that project where we went to the South Sandwich Trench which is an eight and a half thousand meter trench. Which is you need a piece of toast to access, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The toast in the sand. So it's just it's south east of the island of South Georgia, which is where Shackleton is buried. Yep. Past the Sandwich, the South Sandwich Islands, and there's this trench in the Southern Ocean, and we spent thirty two days at sea. Oh. Travelling, travelling, yeah, down in the in, yes. down in the Southern Ocean, getting smashed, yeah, I bet. by big waves. But we were lucky enough to get a weather window, and we were able. Victor was able to pilot this this vehicle, this new vehicle. It's an incredible. So it's manned. This vehicle, it's, or it's, it's remote. A, it's a person vehicle, but it's it's a generation ahead. So that we, he went down, and he could have gone down again the next day. Not not one thing failed on it. It was it's all built to this standard of reliability that it's certified. It's a certified vehicle. It's not a prototype. Yep. It's not an experimental one-off. It's a certified reusable vehicle. And it went to the to the very bottom of the Southern Ocean. It also went to the bottom of the Puerto Rico Trench in the Atlantic Ocean, and now it's on its way to go to the Java Trench just north from Australia or the Diamantina Trench. They've got to work out which one's the deepest and Victor will dive down there and then he's going to the Challenger Deep and then he'll go across to the Malloy Deep in the Arctic Ocean. So this vehicle is, it's incredibly, I mean, it's incredibly sexy vehicle. It's made from a lot of new materials. It's made from titanium alloy. It's a lot thinner. It's a lot larger. It can fit two people. And it's a lot easier to launch off the back of a ship, um, a lot more manageable as a vehicle. And the system, I mean, all of the systems that they built were built upon the technology that Ron and Jim developed. And it's just been taken to, and like an, it's a generational step ahead. It's, it's, it's just amazing. In fact, other people are saying that this vehicle is the biggest breakthrough in 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 vehicles since Apollo 11. Really? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it is an incredible, incredible piece of machinery. So does that mean it has applications in space as well, this sort of...? Uh, not applications in space, but inner space. I mean, the, the deep oceans are the most unknown part of our planet. Yeah. We have explored less than 1% of the deep oceans. We know practically nothing about what's down there. And these places are incredibly important in terms of understanding the origin, the generation of life on Earth and understanding what happens to pollution. I mean, they're they're finding some animals down in the bottom of these trenches because the trenches are kind of like the the cistern of the ocean, if you like, when all the bad stuff sinks to the bottom. Well, they're finding 
you know, PCBs, uh, pollution from that was around in the 60s, they're finding that in animals at oh. the very, very bottom of the ocean now, 50 years later. I mean, because all of that stuff gets sifted through. We're starting to get a... We need to get an understanding of how the ocean works as a system because we rely on the ocean. Life on this planet depends on the ocean and we know practically nothing about the way the ocean works. So this vehicle is one of a whole... I mean, Triton make a whole series of vehicles. They make they make pleasure craft that, that rich people can use to go, you know... Yeah, around the harbour. Around the harbour and looking at wrecks and stuff like mm-hmm. that. They make other vehicles that can go to, you know, uh, about a 1,000 metres to look at the the layer of life because most of the life is there. But now they've developed this full ocean depth vehicle that can go anywhere, anywhere on the bottom of the ocean to discover all of that unknown territory. It's, it's really exciting. It's hugely exciting. Are they taking, uh, obviously, they're taking video footage, um, samples as well? Samples, video footage. They've got a nice big manipulator arm that's that's going down there taking samples. And there's a whole team of scientists were on board this last trip. We had, uh, bi- we had a couple of biologists. We had a geologist. We've had, got a whole bunch of PhD students looking at bacteria on the bottom of the ocean. And, I mean, this bacteria that they're finding there, it's really exciting stuff because there are, I mean, just prosaically, there's potential new antibiotic lines, but there's also bacteria that do really bizarre things that can eat iron, that can eat radioactive material, that can... I mean, it's 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 a whole new area of biology that we pretty much know nothing, nothing about. about. It's so exciting, the potential of what's down there. I'm blown away. I mean, I've always thought it was like the last unexplored frontier, but to find out that we're finally there. And yeah, we're I mean, we know it. more about the moon than we know about the uh, bottom yeah, of the ocean. Absolutely. Yeah, because you can look at the moon, you can use telescopes, etc. And we've sent vehicles there. there. But it, until now, there weren't vehicles that could go down reliably on a day-to-day basis to the bottom of the ocean. But now we've got one. It's incredible. So I, what, I can't even imagine what it means for the planet, hum, mankind and humankind. Yeah, what the potential. It's just, yeah. the, it's like the door, the, we're just opening a new door to possibility. So this door that's now open, what does it, what does it bring for you? What, where are you headed next? What's your next? Well, I was lucky enough to be the, the doctor on that expedition and I'm really hoping Victor invites me yeah, back to, the next. <laughs> um, to be part of the rest of it. But I, I mean, submarine medicine is, is one of my sort of specialties as well as doing intensive, cares, intensive care and emergency medicine. I've also, I did my underwater medicine with the Royal Australian Navy and it's, you know, and I'm also an expert in high altitude medicine. So well, I feel you know, a little underqualified for everything right about <laughs> but, now. But for me, <laughs> uh, like I, I always get inspired by learning about new possibilities. And if I want to go somewhere, you know, remote and, and use that as a, like I said before, as a metaphor for travelling within, then you've got to learn some things and make myself attractive and employable for these journeys to really extreme environments. And that's why... Victor invited me along because I know about submersible medicine. I know about marine medicine. I know about remote, rural and remote medicine. Mm. That's my speciality here in Australia is rural and remote medicine. So 
you, if there was one piece of advice I would give to anybody who wants to do all this kind of stuff, it's a really good idea to become an expert in some exotic field that's going to be useful in the area that you want to go. And I mean, the the big thing, I think, marine bio I, I would love to be a marine biologist if i get bored with medicine maybe i'll go back and become a marine Just biologist because time, i think that that is going to be one of the you know occupations of the future there will be so much down there that we can start to learn about life and and also it's really important because you know pollution and and climate change and all those things we and just fishing we're destroying lots of our marine habitat without really understanding the consequences of that yep. and you know it's about time that we all started being a bit more careful and and have more understanding about this extremely important ecosystem that we you know, well, in take Sydney, for granted. We, yeah, we we look at it every day, but mostly we take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. How did you become a vegan? How did you come to that in the end? So, um, becoming a vegan for me was the result of three choices, or three. There's three reasons, if you like. The first one is that the big. I mean, the really big health studies show that veganism is the healthiest diet. And these are the studies. The China study had 30,000 people. The Adventist 2 trial had 89,000 people. These are big Mm. population studies. And they show hands down that the healthiest diet is a vegan diet in terms of preventing all of the lifestyle diseases, avoiding heart disease, avoiding cancer, um, avoiding diabetes, the, that's the diet that works the best. There's no question about that now in most of the medical and scientific community. That was That's a pretty good reason to be a vegan. The second reason is the environmental reason. There's a US Department of Agriculture statistic that if, or it's a projection, if everybody stopped driving their car today then tomorrow greenhouse gas emissions would be cut by 14 15%. Whereas if everyone stopped eating meat yes. today, greenhouse gas emissions would be cut by 18% tomorrow. The meat industry is that big a polluting industry and w- wasteful of a precious commodity, water. I mean, we're, we're growing lots of grain to feed to cattle so that we can eat meat it's if you just grow grain for people you cut Cut all of that out out of the system so that the uh, and funnily enough when i told this environmental statistic to james cameron it was one of the things that helped him convert to veganism i mean uh, when i was with him on the marianas trench expedition i nagged him every day about becoming a vegan and that fact And when he watched a film called Forks Over Knives with his wife Susie, that's when he converted to becoming a vegan. And Jim's a kind of, you know, drink the Kool-Aid kind of guy. So he became vegan, a passionate vegan. He's now kind of a poster boy for veganism in the United States. And he's converted Arnie Schwarzenegger to be a vegan. You know, and, and I don't know if you've seen Arnie's ad. It's hilarious. 
you don't have to eat meat to be a man. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. And that's, you know, indirectly I can claim some credit for that. (laughs) So... Um, I mean, the environmental argument was is an important is argument. Compelling. But then the third part is, I mean, I'm a doctor and I don't like killing things. Mm. Humans kill 60 billion animals and 90 billion fish every year just to eat them. That's kind of, that's approaching, you know, species genocide. And I'm not real comfortable with yeah. that as a doctor. So there's, there, those are the three reasons that I'm kind of a vegan. And... And I'm lucky that Heather, my wife's also a vegan, and she's a fantastic vegan cook. And that that makes all the difference. And one of the interesting things that we found when we became vegan is for the first three weeks of being a vegan, everything tastes like cardboard. And then suddenly after about three weeks, it's like, wow, everything tastes great. This broccoli, I never knew it had so much flavour. And with what's actually happening there is that you change your gut biome, the bacteria in your gut yep. change over. And it's interesting to understand that most of our appetite for meat or whatever is the appetite of the bacteria in our gut and when you change them over and it takes about three weeks to change over you get a new biome a new intestinal flora gut environment that has a different appetite and suddenly food vegan food tastes tofu can actually taste really tasty look i love tofu so i'm on board completely (laughs) so um, that, that's one of the hard things for people when they actually become vegan is for, for those three weeks, while the gut bacteria is changing over, things taste uh, like kind of like cardboard. But then, wow, everything changes. And it's pretty wild to, to believe, to understand, really understand, that lots of our appetite is actually dictated by the gut flora, the bacteria that we've got in our guts. Not by some, most people don't make a choice. But then this goes back to what I was talking about before about, you know, overcoming fear. When you can make a conscious choice and say, I choose to eat a diet that's better for my body, better for the planet and better for animals. That's a fantastic choice to be able to make. And then when you get the consequences in your gut, bacteria change over and you develop a new appetite. It's like it's fantastic. All these things I never would have imagined possible uh, in terms of food are incredibly tasty and exciting. And, you know, I'm able to control, well, both my wife and I are able to control our weight better or manage our weight better. We're able to, some of the best athletes in the world now are plant-powered athletes. And, I mean, Scott Jurek, I mean, there are just so many examples of vegan athletes that, and even Arnie, as Arnie says, you don't have to eat meat to be a man. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? People think that protein, pure, you know, the best source of protein is meat, but actually there are so many different uh, options for you. That's right. Well, now there, now there is a choice. And now there are so many options in the supermarket, really tasty, interesting vegan options. It's been incredible to watch Australian supermarkets change and actually advertise that a product is vegan. Yeah, that's a whole uh, section. It's amazing. Well, it's a little section, but it's a whole section. Well, it's growing. Section. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again. Be my pleasure. Lovely to talk. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia with Glenn Singleman. 
If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at Australian Geographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.